Well, good morning. I'll try that again. I need you to be awake. Good morning. Oh, good. And I heard you, even those of you listening. Um, I hear all the time people are listening live stream. We're just up at the lake. So we decided to do a series called Lake Life and invite you to be a part of it as well. And, and it's in the summer, fun thing to do. The reason it's Lake Life is because Jesus spent a lot of time around a lake. Spent a lot of time around a lake called Galilee. And when he was around that lake, he did a lot of teaching and also called people to steps of faith. And this is what we're looking at. How do you take a step of faith? And we've been looking at this over a number of weeks. We started with the whole idea of Peter who walked to, on the water towards Jesus. And, uh, and, and, and the line was simply this. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. And then we looked at um, the first followers of Jesus and said, if you want to live an extraordinary life, you got to say yes to Jesus. And, and this idea, as he looked at a paralytic who couldn't get to Jesus, four guys took him and carried him to Jesus. And we talked about this idea that if you want to see a life transformed, sometimes you might, with others, have to carry people in prayer or other different ways into the presence of God. And then we uh, took a look at this idea of Levi, the tax collector, who was transformed. And his transformation took place because it's this idea, if you want to follow someone to follow you, you have to be followable. And we looked at how Jesus just invested in his life. And then last week, I'm grateful to Bruce who spoke, and he spoke about the uh, incident at time on the lake when Jesus stilled the storm. And he, he made this point, if you want to weather the storm, you kind of don't... Um, don't do it at the last minute, but be prepared. And as you go through it, keep your eyes, your confidence on the creator who will be with you through the storm. Well, today we're looking at something. We're talking about that which is impossible and impossible situations that may occur in our life. So I want you to be thinking about that. There's a story in Mark. It's not the one we'll be looking at, but in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, it's an impossible situation. This dad comes to the disciples with his son who, who he desperately desires to be delivered and to be healed. And, and the disciples can't do it. The followers of Jesus can't. Jesus is up on a mountain, but he so happens to come back right at that time. And this father with this large crowd around him comes to, to um, Jesus and says, you know, Jesus, I brought this guy to my son to your, to your disciples and they couldn't do anything. And I'm just wondering, he says, have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person's belie- a person believes. And we talk about, you see as you come in the, in the church here, everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, we're not perfect here. But anything's possible. That's the faith that we have, that Jesus can do something in our life as we touch hold and reach um, um, a hold of, of Jesus. And so the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I'm going to ask you to stand, would you? Let's pray. Father, as we are standing in your presence, we ask that you would help us to overcome our unbelief. That we might experience and see you as the one who is able to make the impossible possible. As we grab hold of you, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Here's the key truth. Please stay standing because we're going to read scripture. So the key truth is if you want to see the impossible, you've got to be desperate. 
And I want you to, to kind of notice this as we read the scripture in Mark chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. We're just going to read the first part, and then we'll read more of it later. But it says that Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Keep track of that large crowd. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. Mark that. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. And Jesus went with him. And all the people followed, again, crowding around him. Thanks, you may be seated. What I just want to mention to you, just in the little background there, is that crowds, the crowd was always crowding Jesus. Okay? They were always pressing in upon him. They were pushing him and trying to touch him. In fact, if you read uh, this story in Mark chapter 3, one prior to this, it gives you kind of a picture of what was constantly happening with Jesus. So I want to read the scripture to you where Mark summarizes that, um, that Jesus, who was a rabbi, was seen as his healer. And he was wildly popular with the people at this point. And it says that Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples and a large crowd followed him and they came from all over and they list all these different cities and and, and vast numbers of people came to see him. And Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush him. Here's the idea. You ever been in a boat and how the sound carries? Jesus knew that if he was on the shore and all the people were going to be trying to touch him and crowd around him and pressing in on him, that he just got a little bit out in one of the boats of the fishermen that were one of his disciples and he began to speak to the people and he had some room to be able to speak and the ability to communicate to all of them. Because one of the things Jesus came to do was communicate a message of who his father really is. And he wanted to make sure they heard that and didn't get blinded by merely the miracle working. So it says here that they were crowding and they were beginning, and so they wouldn't crush him. And he had healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. I was thinking about it and, I, and, and came to mind was a documentary I had just watched not too long ago of a group called The Beatles. act with heroism above and beyond the call of duty and escort the Beatles to their car. There hasn't been this much excitement at the London... These are for guys called Beatles. <laughs> They're rock stars, right? Some of you are old enough to remember those clips. And, and, and you think about that and you go, when you see people who are just manically trying to touch someone, here is the people as they're coming around Jesus trying to touch him. You get a picture of Jairus then who comes, who is a leader, who is a a, a head of the local synagogue. His name kind of means from the the Hebrew, Jer means enlightened one, kind of one who is, who seemed to have some real skills and gifts and in calling people into faith and leading people. And, and he comes to Jesus and he says, my little daughter is dying. He's a dad whose kind of last hope is that possibly this wildly popular rock star preacher healer might touch his kid and heal him. And so here is Jairus. He comes before him and, and he bringing before him this impossible dis- situation. And then note this phrase. He fell at his feet pleading earnestly. Desperate faith begs. 
it's really amazing that it doesn't matter what position you hold, how popular you may be, how proud you might be, how gifted you might be, but in times of extremity, when you have nothing to offer what you're hoping you can see changed, touched, healed, transformed, whatever it is, you just fall on your knees and you cry fervently and say, would you, would you God do something? There's an important little phrase as we look at it. He's on his knees and he's pleading earnestly. Now, unless you actually read through the entire book of of the Gospel of Mark, you won't catch this. And one of the um, tragedies, in some ways, of the printing press, and then going, you know, fast forward all the way today, is that most people don't read through the Gospel in one sitting. So you miss some of these nuances that they would have heard. You know, cause we get, we get, so we, we can entertain ourselves to death today. And we're lucky if we can take five minutes to read about three or four verses. But in those days, before you had all the ability to be entertained with all these other things, one of the forms of entertainment, one of the ways of learning and education is that you would come and you would sit around and people would read a story through. And as you would hear it, you would hear not just all the stories, but you would pick up on some of the nuances. And here's one of the things I want you to know. We're just going to do a quick jog through Mark. Here's what Mark wants you to see. Chapter 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees. Mark 5, 1 through 20. Here's a story. And take um, note of all the different people begging. It says, um, as, as they come in, in, in Mark one uh, verses one through twenty. Jesus has just landed on the shore of the Gerasenes, and he's in this other side on the on the east side of the lake, which is more of a Gentile region. He comes in, and here a guy who is filled with uh, a demonic spirits comes running down before him, and and we read here in verse ten, and this guy, the legion of demons in him, spoke out of him. And begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. Verse 12, the demon begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go to them. Verse 15 through 17, the people from the town, when they heard about this, they came out to him and they saw that these pigs, which were their source of economy, had run over the cliff. So they're going to have to make a lot of bacon and ham and other stuff, right? They see, they see their financial stuff being impacted by this ministry of Jesus right away. And then we also see that they see the guy who they had known sitting there calmly, sanely, kind of on the ground before Jesus as Jesus is teaching. And it says that that the people began to plead with Jesus to leave that region. When they saw this guy in his right mind and these pigs over the cliff, they were afraid. Jesus, just go. In verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been delivered who had been demonized, begged to go with Jesus. And you can just read account and account. We'll see it in this one, pleading fervently. There's all kinds of begging that's going on before Jesus. And you may be in that place with something in your own life that seems beyond your ability to overcome. It could be an illness, it could be a sickness, it could be a heart desire for someone who seems just really lost their way. And you're concerned for them. It could be a sin and shame that has just 
you know, it just has caused you to come under this cloud and weight of, of just feeling so far and separated from God. And you can't have even a hard time thinking of begging. Let me ask you, why do you think people were begging? Think about it for a second. What comes to your mind quickly? Why do you think people were begging? Someone's next to you, would you just turn to them and tell them what you think? Okay? If you don't have someone next to you, shout it out. Anybody want to share? What do you think? Real loud. Faith, last hope, lack of resources. Okay, thanks, good. Here's a couple different things going on. One is, their view of God and your view of God might be such that you go, God doesn't really care. The only way he's going to ever be moved by my situation is if I get on my knees and beg. And you don't have a picture of this God full of grace and love who wants to move in your situation. That that could be a possibility. That's just the way you view God. It could be this. It could be that you are a kind of person who, I find myself doing this. I found it a couple weeks ago, about three, four different times, like when I lost something, and I don't know the different things that happened. But I remember it was kind of like I did everything in my own ability, my own strength, until I came to a point and I said, oh, God, you got to help me find this. Anybody ever do that? God's kind of that last resort. Not that you have a bad picture of God, but you go, I'm pretty good. Until you're not. And then then I think about it this way. It's pretty just natural. Um, How many have kids or grandkids? How many times do you find them begging? Come on, please, can I just have the candy bars? We're going through the, the aisle where they put all the candy bars. You're going to check out, right? And you're always measuring, do they really need this? Do they really feel it's important? Sometimes you give it to them, sometimes you don't. But there's something about the nature of who we are as people. And that is that when we find something to be really important, we sometimes, it's not only our last resort, but more than this, it's kind of like, God, this is so important to me. It's all of a sudden you're in a situation and everything becomes clear. Chasing after the dollar, chasing after a title, chasing after um, all the different conveniences and comforts of your own life. All of a sudden you go, this is what's so important. My my wife is ill or my, my child is in a situation where I, I need to pray. Whatever it is, all of a sudden life becomes clear and you, you just cry out to God and you beg. I, I've had those occasions in my life and I remember um, when I have seen God do that where he has answered. And sometimes he has caused me to wait and sometimes he doesn't answer the way I want it to be. Yet I find myself begging. Let me read to you as you go on in this passage. Then, this, this idea of what happens here. Desperate faith seems to be just natural. We, we beg. It says in Mark chapter 5 verses 25 to 34. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with a constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, and she had gotten no better. Anybody connect at all? Seems to be happening all the time throughout the ages. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus. So she came up from behind and came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself... Can I get the kind of last resort? I've done doctors, done everything. I heard about this guy, Jesus. Possibly, if I just can touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized 
at once that healing power had gone out of from him. So he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, as the crowd's crushing and touching him and holding him, look at the crowd pressing around you. How can you ask such a silly question, my little addition? Who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him. A lot of falling on their knees. And told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter. Take all kinds of love in his voice. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Excuse me, Kevin. Kevin. Um, I, just, I asked for interaction earlier, but this is a little much. Yeah? Well, you're talking about desperation. Yes. And I'm just wondering, as a man, can you really understand the desperation this woman was feeling? She had been bleeding for 12 years. She didn't have our modern feminine hygiene products. She had spent all of her money going to doctors. She was, she was considered an outcast. Anything she touched, anyone she touched was un, unclean. So it was like being quarantined with COVID for, for 12 years. Yeah. Would, um, would you like to, to take over and do the message if you kind of so nicely, kindly interrupted me? I'd love me. to. I, I bet you would. <laughs> I'll just go sit down then, no, I guess. No, no. Thanks, guys. No. It was good. You don't get out of it that easily. Why is that? I want you to stay and help me illustrate this. Will you okay, put what's this that? On, please? It's a, it's a Jewish prayer shawl called Thank a talit. Talit? Yeah. Want me to put it on? Please. Okay. Like this? Yes. Okay. I'll sit over here and I'll kind of wait for you. Okay. I'll keep your eye on you, okay? So we, we read in this passage that Jesus um, felt the healing power go out of him. And it was, uh, he said, you know, who touched my robe? I love this particular passage of scripture and I love it so much that I recently bought a piece of artwork to put in my office that illustrates this passage of scripture. I just love this, um, this painting. But when I began researching it, I found out that the painting isn't accurate. Even the scripture, the way it's been translated, she, it says he, she touched his robe. That is not accurate. She didn't touch his robe. She didn't touch the hem of his robe. What she actually touched, when you read the original language, was the tassel that hung from his prayer shawl. The Jewish prayer shawls have four tassels that hang from them. We read about that in Numbers 15. Um, the Lord had said to Moses... Speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at so you remember all the commandments of the Lord that you may obey them. And that's actually what she was grabbing. When you read the original language, um, it says that she was grabbing the craspidon in Greek. So if you're going to have me do this, I'm going to be standing this. Okay. Basically, she's yes. doing this. So there's a tassel on each corner, okay. and she would have been reaching for one of the tassels. Gotcha. And the tassels... I thought I would just take a little... You know, ...represented no. the commandments um, of God. The, that Hebrew word that's used for the tassels actually means wing or flap. And um, God refers to wings quite often in Scripture, like in Psalm 91.4. You're probably familiar with that. It says... Um, he will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you'll take refuge. His truth will be your shield and buckler. And at the end of the Old Testament, in Malachi 4.2, the word says, The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. 
I've wrestled with that scripture for many years, trying to figure that out. I understood that son of righteousness probably referred to Jesus, but it's spelled S-U-N, not S-O-N. And then I thought, well, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He's the light of the world. Okay, I can understand the son of righteousness. But it says the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, which didn't make a lot of sense to me. And then I thought, well, maybe Jesus' robe with his big sleeves, maybe that's what it meant by wings. But then when I studied the original language in this passage of scripture in Mark, I understood that what it's referring to is the tassels on the the prayer shawl of Jesus. Which would kind of be like wings as they walk fastly, Mm -hmm. in a fast sense. Yeah. Yeah. So we also know that Jesus was the most righteous man who ever lived. He fulfilled every aspect of the law. So as this woman was reaching for Jesus, she was reaching for the the tassel on his, his prayer shawl. One of the things I love about this is it indicates to us God is touchable. He wants us to reach for him. Yeah. Um, so when so I'm going to interrupt you. Okay. I told you I'd you do said this. You I told you if you interrupted me, I'm going to interrupt you too, right? Okay. So I, I, when that, I think what's so cool about that is that accessibility of, of Jesus. It's this idea that she's reaching out to touch him. And it's not just that she touched his robe. Mm-hmm. She actually um, touched him with faith. Right. And I think the distinction when people go, well, what she was trying to, you know, all these people are touching him and they go, that's silly. What are you doing? Trying to, you know, um, figure out who touched you. Jesus is going, no, I actually felt power flow through me, which is an interest. There's a whole story on that. I won't go into that, but it felt power flow through me. And someone touched me with faith, <laughs> which is part of what we're talking about. I think when people in desperation beg and then they grab hold of the power and promises of God, his deliverance. It's not just that they're, they're just trying to touch him. They're touching him in faith and trust with what is going on in their situation. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you pointed out when you were reading the scripture, um, sometimes I think we read it with, you know, maybe Jesus would be upset. Who touched me? But he probably spoke with tenderness. And then he called her daughter. And this woman had been an outcast for 12 years. She had been isolated. She hadn't been able to interact with people. When he called her daughter, he was really giving her a new identity. He was letting her know that she was she is a part yeah. of the family. I, of God. I think that's one of the reasons why he stopped everything as well as he he was much more concerned than just a physical healing. We are so often wanting a physical healing. It says at one mm-hmm. point that he told the crowd not to say anything about him. We'll read that again. Well, early in his ministry, he said that because he didn't want to be just the rock star rabbi healer. He really wanted to bring a message of right relationship and total, full restoration emotionally, um, mentally, relationally, and physically. But what gets our attention, right? I need a healing. I need my finance. You know, that. But what God is all about is how can I get a hold of your heart? Because when I change this in here, things out here will begin to change. Yes, he wants to heal the whole person. These principles are true for us today. If we lay hold of the word of God, if we put our faith in Jesus' righteousness and God's promises, we can experience healing in our spirits, souls, and bodies. He will heal us in the deepest parts of our being. So as Kevin's been saying, desperate faith grabs hold of the promises of God. Right. So let me ask you just, let's, you know, people can't go up and, and grab a hold of Jesus' physical garment today. So how would you practically do that or suggest doing that? Well, I've discovered many years ago, um, my husband and I went through a crisis in our marriage. 
And when we did, the Lord started giving me verses to stand on, verses to claim. And I started, um, I changed the pronouns in those, and I I claimed them, I made them my own. And I started saying those verses, um, I would, first thing in the morning, and when I was really feeling desperate, I would say them many times a day. And, um, and the Lord did heal our marriage. Um, the Son of Righteousness rose, rose in our marriage and brought about healing in our marriage. And that's actually what got me into the, the counseling ministry. I wanted to help other people. I wanted to teach them the things I learned in that, that experience. So you, used to, you still do that? I still do that. In fact, recently, I've started doing it again and with more energy. I've been taking a class where our instructor um, actually taught the same method, and he calls it presenting yourself to the Lord and um, personalizing the scriptures, changing the pronouns, and, um, and claiming those things. And as I've started doing that, it really has been changing my life and my experience of God. So basically, give us a few examples of verses you do. Well, the one I usually start with is from Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I want you to listen. If, if you hear, um, if you look at the scripture the way it's written, it says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And I change that and I say, Heavenly Father, I'm presenting my body to you as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is my spiritual service of worship. And that verse goes on to say that um, you know, we're, we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're be, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And I'm finding, as I'm doing this, my mind is being transformed. I'm starting to think the way God thinks. And even as it's speaking, sometimes I find myself speaking in line with what, um, what Scripture is saying. So you told me about Psalms. Tell me the one you use in Psalms. Um, I know you use a couple different ones. But. Yeah. Uh, in Psalms, I would say, um, for them, Psalm 32, 8, Thank you, Father, that you will instruct me and teach me in the way I should go. You will counsel me with your eye upon me. So basically, you take a verse of Scripture, which is a promise of God often, and you will then personalize it. So it's a promise you personalize, and then there's no... I could use a P, proclaim it, but you say it out loud. Yes. Right? And there's something about taking promises... And personalizing mm-hmm. it and speaking out loud, when you hear it, it does something to you. Right. So that's what you counsel yeah. a lot of times people to do. Yes. And you find it's been very helpful in their yeah. lives. It's really I'm making a difference. And I'm and seeing it, the transformation in my own life. And one of the things I haven't even told you, I have been plagued with allergies my whole life. And I would wake up every morning with a runny nose, and, and that's not happening. And it's allergy season, so I, I believe it's part of this whole transformation. And, you know, it's changing my thinking, it's changing the way I speak, it's changing my life in so many ways. As I present myself to the Lord and speak uh, these things out loud, make them my own and speak them. Yeah. One of the things that I've been doing, too, is I, it's been very meaningful for me, is if not just the scripture, but I will pray in agreement with truths about God. So I will end my Bible reading and journaling and time when I'm with the Lord, and I'll end it with a prayer. It's longer than this, but it just starts out this way. Father, I agree with who you are. I agree with what you're doing. And this is a real kicker, and I agree with how you're doing it. I have to believe that in this interruption that Jairus was in, um, which I wanted you to kind of feel is kind of an interruption. He was waiting. I hate to wait. Anybody else hate to wait? 
And in his mind, in his heart, he's moved, God is going to move him into an agreement of who Jesus is, what Jesus is doing, and even how Jesus is doing it. So, Beth, I just thank you for interrupting me. Um, well worth it. Thank you. You did a much better job sharing that than I would have. So thank you for sharing that. So I just want to share with you this, you know, this idea that faith begs. Faith grabs hold of the promise of God. The last thing I want you to notice is that faith continues to hope in, in the Lord. And, I, and I'm going to read these last verses to you because here's Jairus. He's waiting. Can you imagine what he's feeling? He knows things are desperate. He left when his daughter was so close to death. I honestly think if it would have been me, I would have been going, hey, woman, hold on here. Get a get in line and grab a number like everybody else. But he waits. And listen to what it says. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the house of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, Your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. No use begging any longer or grabbing hold of God and Jesus through hope and faith. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd, wouldn't let anyone go with him, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came home to the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, Why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave. He used the same word, the maid is the same word for authority when he would cast out a demon. He cast them out. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Telatha, kum. Which means little girl, get up. This is the most tender moment. It's just incredibly precious because you can also translate this as sweetheart. Is he grabbing her hand? Get up. And holding her hand, he said that the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. And they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. And Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. This time not because he, he was already the miracle worker, rock star. This time he's telling them not to do it because he knew that the next thing would be his arrest and death. And he knew he had time yet that he had to do ministry. Because if you think of the other resurrection with Lazarus, soon after that he's put on the cross. And then he told them to give her something to eat. Imagine how Jairus felt. His daughter has died. His last glimmer of hope is gone, snuffed out like a candle. This woman's interruption kills his child, delay, denies him his last hope. And Jesus says these words, don't be afraid, just have faith. I believe God is saying that to you right now. There may be some. There are some times that I think, like he said to Jairus, Don't listen to anybody. You need a deaf ear to words that are not of faith. 
This is, this is critically important. I think it's really important to have people of faith around to help you to discern what you should be holding on to. But sometimes when God speaks into your spirit, there are times when Jesus would say to you, when he said to them, there's a deaf ear to all the unfaith, all the ridicule to everything else. In fact, what he did is he took three of his disciples who had faith with the mother and father, brought them into a room, encouraged this environment of faith. Sometimes what you may need to do in your life when you're holding on to a promise, and God has told you that it's true, you may need to hold on to it, have a deaf ear to those around you, and build an encouragement of people around you who help generate faith. The other thing I want you to notice is is just believe. Um, Don't be afraid, just believe. He says, replace the fear with faith. Whatever the outcome. You know, it's sort of interesting. He doesn't give you the outcome. He just says, believe. We're never guaranteed what the outcome will be, but we are guaranteed. Father, I agree with who you are. You are good. Father, I agree with what you're doing. I know you are much wiser than me, and your ways are higher. And I agree with how you're doing it. I don't get it. I don't understand the delay. But I do know sometimes that in the delay, it is not that God is not concerned. I know that in the delay, at times he was just building our faith muscle for the right moment for God to work. And at times, if it isn't the direction, when I lock into my own outcome, sometimes God has to pull me away from that because his outcomes are better even though I don't understand it in the moment. I remember um, a, a movie I saw called Breakthrough. Uh, it, it's a movie about a boy who fell in the water. And it was in Lake St. Louis, I think it was in 2015. And I remember in the movie at one point, the mother saying to everybody, as all the doctors, everyone said, this child's going to die, not going to make it. She just said, I only want people in here. I don't want any negativity. I only want people who have faith. So I'll let you see the trailer and we'll close on this. Rise and shine. Breakfast is ready in 10 minutes. And don't make me come back up there. This is our town. It's a close-knit community. The kind of place where everyone knows everyone. Hi, Miss Jay. Hey, how are you girls? And we're always there for each other. Nice sermon, Pastor. What do you guys have on for the rest of the day? Well, John has a basketball game. Yeah, I've seen this guy hoop it up around here. This kid is so lit. Text your mom tomorrow and tell her when and where to pick you up. And uh, don't do anything stupid. Love you guys. Boys, get off the ice. We're training for the Olympics, sir. Cindy. He's been underwater for more than 15 minutes. It's going to be a recovery, not a rescue. done everything medically possible there's nothing more we can do please god send your holy spirit to save my son Fourteen-year-old St. Charles boy who spent 15 minutes trapped underwater is continuing to fight for his life. I don't believe John will survive the night. You don't know my son. He is a fighter. So I need you to be the best for John, and you just let God do the rest. You are my pride and joy. I can't wait to see you shoot those baskets and run up and down the court again. The Smith family asked for one thing. Please pray for John. 
in the water that day. I was ready to give up, but then I hear this voice telling me, come back. Either I'm nuts or God's talking to you. But I don't believe in God. I believe, but maybe that only goes so far with something like this. I'm your pastor. I'm supposed to walk alongside you for as long as it takes. Did you see the Facebook page? It's gone viral. Tommy? I hope he's going to be okay. We're not going to get through this alone. Whatever you have for me, for Brian, for John, I surrender. I just thought I would have us just see the reality that God's still at work. I'm going to ask you to stand. Um, and I want you to um, hear this verse. It's one I grab hold of often when I'm in those last moments of saying, God, I, I, I just don't get the delay. I don't get what you're doing. It's found in Romans chapter 4 where it says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. And without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. And since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. He grabbed hold of it, and was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. If God has been working in your life and he's calling you to pray about something in your own life, I'm I'm going to ask you to feel free just to call upon his name in your heart right now in this situation. It may be that you're praying for someone else. We don't know the outcome. We can't guarantee that. But God places promises in our hearts. And if God has placed a promise in your heart, he will fulfill it. As I said earlier, some of you have felt your sin and it's had a hold of you. And you feel deep shame. And right now God is saying, you're not the one that saves you. He does. He's just asking you to confess it. He's probably asking you to share it with someone you can trust so that God can begin to work in your situation. It may be that there's an illness or something that's going on in your family and you're praying for it and you, you just are saying, God, I'm just standing on the promise. The promise is this, that God is good, that God knows what he's doing, and that as you surrender yourself to how he's doing it, he will bring about what he believes is best, that he will even strengthen your muscle of faith through this. So however God is working, bring this to him right now. It seemed that Jesus really liked desperate faith. Father, we are before you. And we ask you would reveal yourself to those who are calling out to you right now. To those who wonder whether their trust in you can truly save them from themselves and can save them for eternity's sake. You have made it clear 
nothing, nothing, not even your own sin can stand before the grace and love of God through Jesus Christ. If you found help, you know, just send yourself helpless about your situation and, and you've never opened your heart to Jesus and there's a sense that as we've been in this service and you have been hearing these words, your heart is beginning to beg and cry out to God. As you are doing that, just open your heart and say, I receive you, Jesus. And I pray now, Holy Spirit, enter into the heart of that individual, those people who are calling out to you, Spirit of God, move and work. As I, as I pray that, I just am reminded, I have heard story after story of people who have said, you know, we are in a time like this, and you just prayed that I'd open my heart, and I did, and God began to move in ways I hadn't ever expected. I don't know, what, what's holding you back from saying, Jesus, enter into this situation? What voices are you hearing that, that are ridiculing you? Or laughing at you. Or you're afraid they're going to laugh at you. And Jesus is saying, you know what? This is the time. Now is the time to grab hold of me and my promise like never before. And put all your hope in me. I hear your pleading. Jesus, I pray right now, Holy Spirit of God, move in the hearts of people who are crying out to you and say, it is time for us to give all of ourselves to you, Jesus. We are done being religious and all the activities around it. And God, we are here because we want you more than anything. We want more of you, Jesus. We want more of you in our midst. So Father, we invite you to be at work in our hearts and our lives. I just want to tell you, if you are in this pop, a time right now, you're, you're um, sensing the Spirit of God at work in your heart. There is power available for Him to work in your heart through faith. Touch Him through faith. Just grab hold of Him. And He promises He will never leave you or forsake you. So I'm going to close this service differently, folks, than we normally do. I'm going to ask as we close this, you guys keep playing. Um, for those of you, um, it's, if you'd like to, to meet and talk, please go back into the lobby. But I'm going in, to in, invite anyone who'd like prayer. We're going to have people who would love to pray for you. We just really believe there may be some people that God wants us to pray for. And so as, um, as this is going, if you don't feel bad if you're leaving. This is not a, you know, we just, we just want to create a space here for a moment where people can do some business with God. So if you feel like God has been doing something in your life and you would like some prayer, it doesn't have to be a major thing. We just would love to pray for you. We'd like to confirm, affirm, or ask for discernment in any of these things that are going on in your life. We believe Jesus, like that miracle, that breakthrough, we believe Jesus still works today. So God bless you. Thank you for being here. We are grateful for your presence. And those of you who would like prayer, we'll be up here for the next few minutes. Um, So God, thank you in Christ's name. Amen.